imagine that. Me, Vince McMahon. Imagine that. Here I am on WCW television. How can that happen? Well, there's only one way. You see, it was just a matter of time before I, Vince McMahon, bought my competition. That's right. I own WCW. So therefore, in its final broadcast tonight on TNT, I have the opportunity to address you, the WCW fans. I have an opportunity to address you, the WCW superstars. What is the fate of WCW? Well, tonight, in a special simulcast, you'll all find out. Because the fate, the very fate of WCW is in my hands. There must have been something in the water on Monday, August the 14th, 1995, for that was the day battle was declared. And no, I don't mean Blur and Oasis releasing Country House and Roll With It respectively on that very day. After all, we all know who went on to win that war. I'm talking about the other side of the Atlantic, where WCW held a press conference at the New York City branch of the Hard Rock Cafe. In attendance on their behalf were Mike Rotundo, Steve McMichael, Randy Savage, Sting, Hulk Hogan, and an Eric Bischoff who managed to balance looking highly determined with curiously nervous. He told the assembled great and good of the journalistic profession that his forthcoming weekly show on primetime TNT, now to be called WCW Monday Nitro, would indeed go head-to-head with the WWF's Monday Night Raw and existed in order to offer a, and I quote, real alternative. Despite such seemingly humble goals, Monday Nitro would go on to be the most-watched episodic professional wrestling show on US cable television for well over 100 weeks of its life, including an uninterrupted run of ratings victories from June 17, 1996 to April 13, 1998. Many of the most memorable, shocking, iconic, and indeed downright excellent segments, interviews, and matches that we have talked about in the course of our podcast lifetime were broadcast and broadcast live on WCW Monday Nitro. It undeniably packed more into its short run than many other entertainment shows of any stripe could have ever hoped to achieve. Yet now, after five and a half years and 288 broadcasts, and indeed only two and a half years after their most recent ratings victory over their competitor, WCW Monday Nitro went off the air this week for the final time. And it closed by promoting a match taking place six days later on the WWF's own WrestleMania pay-per-view. Hello everyone, I am Rory McNamara welcoming you to the third and final volume of our programming for March 2001. A month unlike any other we have done before, and almost certainly unlike any other we will do afterwards. If this is the first volume for this month that you have come across, then I recommend you hit the pause button on your chosen listening device and jump back to listen to volumes one and two before returning to this one. On volume one, Eric, Bob Bamber and I take you through how WCW came to go out of business this month. No matter how many times I say those words, I still can't quite believe that has happened. We go through it moment by moment, leading to the final denouement of Vince McMahon sweeping in with his $4 million of pocket change. On volume two, Chris White and me again are on hand to look at all things of a WWF away from the purchase of WCW. 
that show is the place to go for all the build-up to WrestleMania 17. Okay, welcome back. So yes, I am here once more. Just can't get rid of me, the proverbial snot in the handkerchief, if you will. Leading you through a blow-by-blow account of the final edition of Monday Nitro, including the simulcast of that broadcast with Monday Night Raw. And yes, I wrote that in capitals, and still, it doesn't seem real. On hand with me today are Chris Lacey, and his presence should be enough to convince me that all of this isn't just my own elaborate dream. But I must be honest, I'm still not quite sure. But Chris, it looks like we're here. It is is that time when you see all three feds mixed together. And uh, it's going to be a pleasure to get through this one. It's going to be, as uh, Vinnie Jones once said, emotional. (laughs) Oh dear, what a reference to kick things off with. Yeah, that brings me back down to earth. To take you through the WWF portion of the broadcast, we have our own WWF expert, Mr. Chris White. Chris, I bet you never thought you'd see the day. I never thought I'd see the day, and I never thought I'd see such a generous use of the word expert. <laughs> special day today, Chris. Very special day. I, ch- I choose my words accordingly on here. You should know that by now. Well, I'm very grateful. And the voice you will hear next to open up proceedings for, once more, the last edition of Monday Nitro on March the 26th, 2001. That onerous responsibility falls to Mr. Eric Landstrom. Every good soldier goes out on their back. So let's get ready to go out on our back. (laughs) So Eric, tell us how we're going to look at this auspicious, historic and downright flipping weird three hours worth of television. Right. And uh, has been the case for some time. The first hour of Nitro runs unopposed. There's a second hour of Raw and Nitro, which run uh, against one another. And then the third hour of Raw runs unopposed and because these shows are so inextricably intertwined to use some legal parlance uh, there is no other way uh, to review these and the the uh, what we anticipate will be the uh, historical significance of these shows uh, for forever in the for, for the however long professional wrestling exists uh, this will be one of the canonical nights um, so the only way to review it is to review it how it happened which was um, live and in living color so we're live from the Boardwalk Beach Resort on March 26, 2001, Panama City, Florida. It's WCW's annual spring break, and it's the Night of Champions where every title in WCW is up for grabs. A couple of notes backstage before the show. David Crockett um, the uh, of the Crockett regime uh, gave a speech thanking everyone for their contributions to Jim Crockett Promotions and WCW. Uh, To lead the WWF contingent, who was backstage uh, and kind of running things on the night, uh, Shane McMahon, uh, spoiler alert, uh, then spoke and welcomed uh, the WCW stars and said everyone there would be given an opportunity. Uh, Rumors are, ahead of time, that the WWF had complete control over Nitro's script, Uh, And when the final Nitro script, as WCW's uh, creative team had concocted it, was submitted, nearly everything was reformatted except for the planned Ric Flair Sting main event to the show. And Vince McMahon opens Monday Nitro. And you will have heard this audio to open our, uh, our volume tonight. He says, it was just a matter of time before I bought my competition. 
He says tonight in a special simulcast, we'll find out the fate of WCW, which is in his hands. And we cut to the Boardwalk Beach Resort. Tony Schiavone welcomes us to a landmark night in sports entertainment. The crowd is thin, but the fireworks are very impressive. Tony says it's been an emotional week and a surreal day. And we hear the familiar dulcet tones. And here's Ric Flair entering, looking somber. And we'll play a good chunk of his uh, promo now. Did I? in the world. As a matter of fact, we have run neck and neck with you, Vince McMahon, for years. For years. And just for trivia, Vince McMahon, do you know that in 1981, when you were trying to become an announcer, your dad was on the board of directors and voted for me to be the world champion. Woo! And you'll hear Ric Flair say that Vince McMahon can't control the fates of Harley Race and Jack Briscoe and a litany of other stars. Vince McMahon does not hold these uh, these legacies, does not hold WCW's fate in his hands. And Flair says that in 1981, Vince's dad voted for Flair to be the NWA world champion. Flair says his guys in the locker room won't be controlled by Vince. And then he closes challenging Sting, who he calls his greatest opponent in WCW, to a match tonight. Gentlemen, quite the blender of uh, happenings in that first uh, bit. 
Uh, Chris Lacey, I'll throw it to you first as we take a little break here to examine the first uh, segment of Monday Nitro and any of the backstage uh, notes that I mentioned before the show. Just get us get us going, man, uh, on this uh, historical night. So obviously one thing is uh, obviously in that beginning, it's Tony says it's been an emotional week. When was it that they knew that this was happening? Was it that they only found out the Monday or was there a bit of a heads up that? Right. The, the uh, sale had been formally announced in terms of press releases uh, by all the, uh, by the WWF on the Friday before on the 23rd. Uh, but there had been uh, basically once the fuse in sale was known to have failed. And by the way, state, uh, uh, listen to our first WCW volume this month, where Rory and Bob and I uh, have discussed all of this in a, in, a, in agonizing detail. But the dates are uh, are very squishy. Uh, but it was the 23rd of the month that the uh, press release came out. But it was on the Monday Nitro on March 19th, where Bischoff called in and basically said the Fusion deal was dead, uh, which had been uh, kind of uh, bandied about the various um, newspapers and wrestling journals uh, the week before. So it had been kind of bubbling for about 10 days, uh, but it was just the Friday before where everybody knew what was happening with the WWF sale. Okay, because obviously that, not knowing all that sort of does sort of make you think, you know, how much of it did, was off the cuff and how much they have time to think about things, especially when you think of Flair's promo. Um, Because... Flair comes out full fucking rating of going, I am the NWA, this is the NWA, you can't own this. The callback to Vince Sr. voting him in as champ, you know, it was beautiful. And I I know, obviously, in the Fed, they have a little bit of leeway to say what they want, but within the bounds, um, you know, we've seen what Flair can do when given a live mic and stuff. I wasn't sure of how much of that would have been signed off beforehand or whether they literally did just go have a live mic and go at it with Flair. But it was beautiful. And the thing is, it is, to me, Flair is WCW. Flair always has been WCW. You know, I, I go back to the NWA days and Starcade won and the original Clash of the Champions and you know, Flair is WCW, and for him to be the first person to come out after Vince and be that impassioned and you know going through the history that way, and it not being oh look at what Bischoff did and the NWO and all that. And no, no, we're going to the proper legacy stuff. I was like, it was beautiful, um, and I think it's what they sh- had to start the show with. I completely agree. Uh, Chris White, uh, this isn't your normal stomping grounds, but uh, what were your thoughts delving into these, uh, you know, relatively uncertain uh, waters for an uncertain show for you? Yeah, I mean, regardless of how much Nitro someone has watched in the last uh, year or so, um, having an episode of WCW Monday Nitro open with Vince McMahon is like, just a shocking moment that any wrestling fan um, is going to probably remember that for 
the rest of their lives. Um, and the only real way to follow that is with a Ric Flair promo. And this is just the epitome of a passionate, well-delivered, well-thought-out Ric Flair promo. And it touches on some really interesting things that I think um, almost as a collective fandom, we're going to have to contend with over the next weeks, months, years even. And it's kind of what the legacy of WCW is. Is it going to be remembered as this old school NWA? Like we go back to, as as Flair said, like Briscoe, Dory Funk, Dory Funk, Harley Race, those style guys. Or are we going to remember things like... The, the finger poke of doom and and kind of like the, the last few years that have kind of turned into a huge money pit and we are where we are on the 26th of march 2001 and the legacy of wcw and any other aliases for that particular company is something that i think we have to like kind of get a grips with really because um this promo definitely encapsulates one side of that, but the, the more recent side is it tells an entirely different story, but it's not really the story that needs to be told on this night. And I think having flair out there cutting the promo he did was the only way to start the show from a WCW perspective. Yeah. Right. If there's one guy that bridges kind of all those eras of WCW, you know, despite his brief respite to the WWF in the early nineties, it's definitely flair. Uh, Rory, uh, anything on the uh, pre-show in the first 15 of this uh, historical night? Yeah. I thought I'd seen it all when Vince McMahon casually walked onto the camera and shook Bob Cordell's hand on that fateful Saturday in 1984. Cool. How wrong was I? The final edition of Monday Nitro, beginning with a Vince McMahon promo saying that he holds his competition in his hands to the extent where, and I doubt he'd admit it, but it was there, even he couldn't quite believe that it had happened. And most importantly, in that moment, that he was opening Monday Nitro to say that he had bought the company. And that is going to stay with me for a very, very long time. You can hear it in his voice at the promo I played at the start of this show. It's, It hasn't sunk in for him yet. And I think we're going to get many more examples as we go of that with Vince. I'll save my true comments, my full comments on that, for when we get to the simulcast. But I've still got bloody simulcast of Raw and Nitro. What is going on? But when we get to that a bit later on. You can hear it in Tony's voice as well. Somebody who has, with the best will in the world, been hanging on a bit for the last few months just punching a time clock and no more really and I say that as somebody who is a long time Tony Schiavone fan going back again to the mid 80s but his voice was quivering and you could tell he's desperately uncertain about the future and when he said it's been an emotional week it's, I believe him brother I think Tony gives an excellent account of himself through the two hours it m- must have been desperately difficult not a situation i would ever want to find myself in but he held it together here and held it together expertly and i really hope this isn't the last we hear of him rick flair's promo well lacy you gave reference to the fact that this probably wasn't scripted and i think it's safe to say you're right on that one this one was not given given clearance beforehand two reasons jump to mind for why i've come to that conclusion number one when he was listing the name of NWA slash WCW legends, the name of Buff Bagwell snuck in there somehow. 
if this was a day to not be charitable, I would probably raise a few more questions about that. But today being as it is, I'm going to let it slide. And what for Flair would normally be an egregious, outstanding breach of kayfabe by saying that he was voted for to win or become, I should say, the world heavyweight champion in 1981 regardless of whether or not it was Vince McMahon's father who was on the voting committee to do so. Whatever the situation is, for Ric Flair, Ric Flair, to outright say on television that that is how he became champion for the first time, now that is the looking glass we are through. The glass has long since shattered behind it. We are not going to return back to our own safe haven here. It's long in the rearview mirror, and batters smashed as well. Flair's promo was utterly impassioned, completely off the hook at times it must be said rather difficult to follow and again under normal circumstances i would be on him like a ton of bricks for that i'm much less of a fan of crazy rick than i am considered rick but this was rick flair as channeled by richard fleer this was the man himself right down to the eyes bulging out and him telling the viewers that NWA itself, the spirit of it, will never die, no matter how it is channeled in the future. And if you don't feel that whatever side of the fence you happen to be on, then this probably isn't the form of entertainment you should be watching. Just the clip I played in here before we talked about it. It really does speak for itself. You probably will need to rewind it back two or three times to really grab even the basic gist of what he's trying to say. Nobody sat down and wrote this for him, much least Ric Flair himself. But as a testament to his belief in this stuff, right down to the very rare, I hope very rare occasion, if we see him again, of him busting kayfabe on live TV, shows just how much this means to him and how much wrestling is associated with, or should be associated with, the NWA. And although that itself is long gone, and WCW itself no longer exists in its same meaningful form or fashion, but wrestling itself will always shine through. And that is something all of us, and I mean all of us, could do very well to remember. Do you think then, what you said there, Rory, do you think Flair believes that this is it for him? Yes, I do. I, I genuinely do. This look, with, with Flair, you can never tell completely, but when I was watching him, not even listening to him, just watching him, and it looked like he was imploding. If you try to sit down with Ric Flair and get him on a, on a considered moment, yeah, good luck. I think you probably would get serious Ric. It's over for me, man. He might be wrong to think that. I hope he is. Even now in the enlightened times we live in, or maybe not, in 2001, there is a place in pro wrestling for Ric Flair. Not sure he believes that anymore. I don't know. I think I I probably agree with that, but I also would not be surprised to see him pop up in the WWF. He's just he's too valuable and he's already been oh, there once. So. And, and he has a by all accounts, he has a very at least very professionally respectful relationship with Vince McMahon. Uh, I mean, if Vince doesn't respect Flair, he doesn't respect anybody. And we know that's not true. So uh, I would love to see Flair in the in the Fed. You know, not as a wrestler, I think those days are over, and I think, you know, we kind of saw why tonight. Um, but, gosh, he just has so much value. Uh, Commissioner Flair sounds kind of good, doesn't it? We'll see what happens. 
So uh, back to Nitro. And the opening match on the Night of Champions uh, Spring Break Special Edition uh, Final Nitro Extravaganza is uh, world champion Scott Steiner putting up his uh, title against uh, Booker T and Booker T's United States Championship. It's title for title here at Nitro. Siren Sound, uh, and it's Scott Steiner coming out first with Medeja. She's back. Uh, Booker hypes the crowd as the announcers hype the simulcast. Um, The bell rings and a hot start sees Booker fall. Scott with a Harlem sidekick for two. Scott takes over with punches and kicks in the corner. Back and forth, and Booker sets up 10 punches in the corner. Scott counters that with a powerbomb for two. Brawl to the outside, and Scott misses a pipe shot. Uh, Shivani, uh, Rory, you mentioned uh, Tony Shivani already sounding emotional. It sounds like his voice is already kind of cracking. Um, Back in the ring, and Scott slows things down. Scott works over Booker until Booker reverses the side slam with the drop kick. Booker nails the ghetto blaster and a flapjack. A Harlem sidekick uh, connects, but a bookend is countered by a Northern Light suplex. Uh, but the quick finish sees Booker counter a powerbomb with a bookend to pick up the three in a match that did not exceed uh, eight minutes or so. And Booker T, uh, United States champion and world champion, uh, presumably the final WCW champion and final WCW United States champion, Booker T. Chris White. Uh, we'll go to you first on this. Um, thoughts on the match and thoughts as Booker going out on top. Yeah, um, very short match, but I suppose you, if you're doing the last ever Nitro and you've got the roster you do with so many guys and so many titles, plus all the man sort of self-congratulatory segments for buying the company, then uh You've got to you've got to get through some stuff pretty quickly, including a title for title match, um, the last one in company history. Um, I really liked it. I thought it had great pace, good action, crammed it in well. And a credit to both these guys for going out there. I'm sure, um, the, the, individually at least, they're both maybe optimistic for the future, which sounds weird to say, considering the fate of WCW. But I mean, if the wwf are going to be making some acquisitions um down the line uh you'd expect that these two men would end up in the wwf sooner rather than later um and yeah while there are no guarantees for either of them both of them out here working their asses off basically putting on a really good match for the time they were given um and uh credit to both men i think uh booker t for me would be like a well, not not so much a huge get, considering they they own the damn company now. But like Booker T is someone who could come in to the upper echelons of the WWF card and and really find himself at home there. Um, so if, as you uh, stated before the before the Nitro was underway, we we know that the Fed are pretty much in control of this show. It's no surprise to me that the guy going out on top is Booker T because it wouldn't surprise me if he's someone they've got their eyes on for coming over sooner rather than later. Uh, Yeah, I I think all things considered, uh, this is the strongest endorsement of Booker T than we've seen in his entire time in WCW, which we've been calling for for like four years. And who is it that finally just puts the the rocket ship on this guy? But Vince McMahon, go figure. Uh, Rory to you, any and all of that. I agree with all of that. 
Yeah, this was a very WWF style match between two hosses. Eight minutes it only went, not a whole lot of transitions, just big move after big move. And it ended with the slightly smaller guy, depending on how you want to look at it, eking out the victory, albeit doing so very quickly. See, during my whole description of that match, there are a lot of holes you could possibly pick from it that it wasn't especially put together. I don't think that matters. This isn't the day to be breaking matches down by any canon of artistic merit. You can only look at the result and Booker being given the world title to go with his US title on the final Nitro when somebody else is signing everything off, putting his John Hancock at the bottom of every page is a good sign for him. I don't think we're going to see him doing a run in the day after WrestleMania or anything like that. But him being given the world title, no matter how devalued in your eyes, and perhaps most importantly in Vince McMahon's eyes, that belt is does bode well for him. And Booker, I agree with Chris, is somebody I can see more than doing a job, yes, pun intended, in the WWF. He's got the right, the right look, inverted commas. He can work well enough. He can talk well enough. He's proved in the last 12 months he can, when given the chance, work up a genuine rapport with the crowd legitimately over and deservedly so and I think they could do on this roster a lot lot worse and this is a good sign for him but let's not worry too much about breaking down the match because this is not the day to do that no this was a this was a match with a planned finish to which they needed to get to in a set amount of time uh they're not winning any awards nor nor should they have it was a difficult Level, difficulty level of five done at like an eight, which is perfect for television. Yes. Uh, and I think bigger bigger things in mind uh, for all parties concerned. Uh, Chris Lacey, bring us home on this uh, final uh, world title match uh, here on Nitro. What a surprise. A title change on Nitro. Who would have funk it after last oh, year? <laughs> oh, jeez. Now, now. So, so to me, is this says more about Scott Steiner than it does to, about Booker. Um, the fact that they obviously want the belt off Steiner, I would imagine um, either he's one of the ones that's on the old Turner deals, which, you know, obviously I, they weren't as WCW, they were with Turner Media, um, that they're not going to be able to have him or do anything with him. So why let him have a belt? Um, you know, Booker, give it on him. Yeah, we, we've clearly seen over the past few years that he is good enough to be in the Fed. You know, this match, as you say, it was a paint-by-numbers Fed-style TV match. And it did it did what it needed to do in the time that it was given. Um, you know, we're not expecting quite instant classics on this. This isn't going to be the, the night for that. But, you know, it to me shows that someone in the Fed or who is being the, the liaison with the WCW guys has enough belief in Booker that they can do something with him that they've gone right. You have the belt. You you are the last champion. So if we do bring you in or whatever they plan to do with WCW, whether it be they're going to run a new WCW, whatever, we don't know. But at least they know they've got Booker. And they're confident enough in him that they will put that on him. Whereas, obviously, with Steiner, they clearly either aren't going to have him 
or don't fucking trust him. Gosh, it just makes me so freaking mad that WCW literally did this thing with Booker T and they, they tried to do it once before and they pulled the plug on it for no good reason. And now you see a guy where they should have just done this a year and a half ago and just run with him and sink or swim with your best young guy who has the most charisma and the most fan support. And here we are, and it's Vince McMahon, and he fucking does it again. It's aggravating. The thing is, they, as you say, they could have done it a couple of years ago, and then they end up putting him back in the t- in the U.S. title picture. Right. It's like, what, what the actual fuck? It would be the same if it, in the Fed style going, right, so we've given uh, WrestleMania 14, let Austin beat Sean, and then go, actually, no, back to the IC title with you. You're, you're, a, you're a wrestling company based in Atlanta with the best African-American wrestler uh or, or at least him and the rock uh going right now like it, it it should have written itself like two years ago anyway uh anything else uh, from any of the gents uh, otherwise we're just going to go through uh to the top of hour two uh because it's a lot of uh a lot of cruiserweight action uh but not a lot of stuff that we're going to be talking about uh, to this magnitude so anything else from uh, chris or rory just to say i do wonder when booker and i do think it's a when booker shows up on WWF programming, he will have that big gold belt with him. I know we've done that before, but the situation was a little different then, wasn't it? It won't need to be pixelated now. <laughs> They'll probably still do it anyway. Be a hell of a way to bring him in. I can see it happening. All right. Well, we're back from break after Booker's big win, and the first thing we see is Vince on the phone making fun of Panama City, Florida. Uh, and we cut to a three-way tag uh, for a shot at the Cruiserweight tag title belts. Uh, yes, those are a thing now uh, tonight. And we see Rey Mysterio and Kidman defeat the Young Dragons and Evan Moore, uh, Shannon Moore and Evan Courageous. Uh, I'm sure I'm not the first to do that. Uh, back from break, and, and we see Vince again. This time he's going at it with Trish, which Tony Schiavone calls a celebration. Um, Sugar Shane Helms and Chavo Guerrero battle for the Cruiserweight title. And Shane wins a criminally short match with the dangerous-looking Vertebraker. Uh, next, we see Booker T get a promo that I've described here as impassioned but clumsy. He says he's out to prove he's the best the business has to offer. It seems like he shot this right after his match, so we'll consider that as well. Um, Lance and Mike Storm, uh, Lance Storm and Mike Awesome come in next to serenade the crowd with the Canadian national anthem. Uh, before the match starts, we see Vince and Trish again. Uh, Michael Cole wants Vince's word on what's going to happen to WCW. Vince tells Cole to hit the bricks. Uh, Again, before we go back to the ring, we see Tony Schiavone, who now looks to be legitimately upset. And I've described him here as the violin player going down with the ship. And finally, back to the ring, and it's Palumbo and O'Hare versus Lance Storm and Mike Awesome for the WCW World Tag Team titles. Tony spends most of this match expressing concern for the merger. Like I said, the real Tony Schiavone started to uh, come through as the show went along. Uh, in the end, O'Hare pins Awesome to re- pinned Awesome to retain the belts for his team after a Sean Ton bomb. Nitro goes off the air, hour one of the final broadcast on TNT with the World Tag Team titles being retained by Chuck Palumbo and Sean O'Hare. And just about now, I start to hear some sirens going off over on the USA Network. And I'll throw to Chris White to bring us in on hour one of Monday Night Raw. 
Yeah, thank you very much, uh, Eric. Yeah, so over on the WWF side of things, Raw comes on the air. And we see backstage in Vince's office, he's sat there. He's got a pair of monitors set up, one with WWF Raw playing and the other showing WCW Nitro. Camera pans over to Vince. He brags about buying his competition in a similar promo that we saw open Nitro. He announces there'll be a special simulcast later at the right time, and he will be the one man to make history. Vince then points out Jeff Jarrett on the WCW monitor and mentions how he always spells his name J-E-F-F. But after tonight, Jarrett will have to spell his name G-O-O-N-E. Gone. Jeff Jarrett is fired to open up Raw. If there was any doubt on that one, and I don't think there was, it safely cleared it up, hasn't it? October 99 still. that, That wound has not healed, has it? Not everyone's going to be offered an olive branch. Did he spend $4 million just to get his revenge <laughs> on Jarrett? It seems that way. I wouldn't just to fire him again. <laughs> yes. I think it, it all was, makes too much sense. Yeah, it has to be one of the, the biggest benefits to Vince to doing this and to ending this war that hasn't been a war for a long time now. But, I mean, just... It's so Vince McMahon, isn't it? Like, it fits the man, the, the like, mystery of the guy in real life, the character on WWF TV, all of it is just, like, perfectly in tune with this kind of, like, enigma Vince McMahon. Just, uh, what else would you expect from him? Just sensational. This is a person who doesn't sleep. He lives off steak wraps and grape-flavoured snow cones. Of course he's going to buy a Jeff Jarrett two minutes into the show. Of course he is. This is a man that holds a grudge. <laughs> I have a grudge against Vince McMahon for his spelling of the word gone. Which is <laughs> all over the place. What's that about? I know yeah, we've who, got to get our puns in. Who's the idiot southerner now, Vince? Jeez. <laughs> we then uh, cut to the ring and we get our usual introduction uh, and it's J.R. and Paul Heyman welcoming us to this historical night. Heyman reiterates that the wrestling war is finally over and feels that tonight will be Vince's victory party. We also learn of the main event which will see Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock team up against The Undertaker and Kane. We open the show proper with Kurt Angle making his way to the ring. He got some of the mic to give us our standard opening promo. Angle first talks about the big news that everyone's buzzing about that he still doesn't have a match for WrestleMania. That, not sure that's the news. Uh, not not sure that that is news in general, to be honest. Um, but but here we are. It's just information. Angle calls it a disgrace how the gobbledygooker has an opponent, but he, a former WWF champion, doesn't. Chris Benoit comes out to interrupt. He has some news for Angle of his own. Good news and bad news, in fact. The good news being Benoit doesn't have a WrestleMania opponent. And the bad news being Benoit doesn't have a WrestleMania opponent. The two get into a bit of a brawl after accepting the, after Angle accepts the challenge for a WrestleMania match. After some nice transitions, Benoit goes for the crossface. Angle counters, goes for the ankle lock. Benoit rolls it over. This time gets Angle locked in the crossface and Angle taps out. Edge and Christian run in to break it off break it up um they take out benoit and angle is helped to the back it'll probably be a great match at wrestlemania but hardly an inspiring build and immediately they give us the payoff angles submitting in the middle of the ring what's at stake at wrestlemania i don't know it's not really important on this night but yeah simple stuff 
Backstage, Trish is sitting with Vince, who's talking to Stephanie on the phone while watching Buff Bagwell and Lex Luger on the WCW monitor. Buff uh, saying that Buff has been stuffed and the Lex Express is out of gas. Vince tells Steph to enjoy her vacation with Triple H, then invites him to see the main event as well as the simulcast. Vince hangs up and Trish feeds him strawberry with whipped cream on it as we head into our first commercial break. Unless there's anything on that stuff, um, I think it's time that we head back over to you, Eric, to see what's going on in on Nitro. Well, well, before we come back to me, I just want to say that I think Benoit Angle at this point is a match that I want to see without. I don't, I don't need any build to see that match. That's and, fair. And I just, I just want to see those two have like a 18 minute match. I don't care who wins. I don't care how it's built. Just yes, please give me those two in the ring at WrestleMania. Take my money. Yeah, I was going to say the same. Give him 20 minutes. Just let him go at it. I'm I'm in. Just I'll I'll sit up till three in the morning to watch that shit. Well, you're on the docket to review WrestleMania 17 with us, Chris. So like it or not, you will be reviewing Kurt Angle versus Chris Benoit. (laughs) I know. You get all the good jobs, don't you? I know. How can I I live with myself for having to do that? (laughs) Well, sure, and and over on Nitro, uh, instead of two fledgling upper mid-carders bitching about having no WrestleMania match, uh, a guy who actually main-evented WrestleMania is out for a tattoo match, and it's Bam Bam Bigelow uh, versus Sean Stasiak, yes, in a tattoo match. Uh, Stacy introduces us to the Sean and Stacy show before we go at it. Uh, and sadly enough, much as his fate was at WrestleMania 11, Bam Bam does the J-O-B here on the final Nitro to Sean Stasiak in a very short affair. Of course, we then go back to backstage at the WWF's uh, arena to see Vince and Regal discuss the handsome WrestleMania 17 hockey shirt. <laughs> and then Regal uh, hilariously buries the WCW and makes sure that Vince is sure he wants to buy the WCW. Uh, Lacey, what's up? I, I will just say at this point, with how much of hockey that shirt goes on for the rest of the night, if someone can get me one, I'll, I will take it. Yes, and, and this podcast is actually officially sponsored by the handsome WrestleMania 17 hockey shirt. Send us all one, please. In the words of the Grateful Dead, what a long, strange trip it's been. But I got to tell you, I've loved every second of it. I wouldn't trade it for nothing. And tonight... On this historic eve, I thought I needed to thank all the wrestling fans from around the world for letting a kid from the Jersey Shore, Paige Joseph Falkenberg, become Diamond Dallas Page, the guy they said would never make it, but did. And that only proves one thing, that if you want it bad enough and you're willing to work for it, anything's possible and it's not really the promoters who decide who's over it's the fans so not just to thank the fans in general i want to especially thank the wcw wrestling fans and my wife kimberly for believing in me and helping me live my dream is that dream over i don't think so i think now it's time to take it to another level. Thank you. Boom, boom. Bang. Uh, and then we close uh, this uh, first head-to-head 
segment with DDP, who has pre-recorded statements about the end of WCW on Turner. He thanks the fans for accepting Joseph Falkenberg as DDP. Roy, those kayfabe bells are going to be ringing again, but I think we can safely say that DDP is somebody who probably has a job waiting for him in the WWF if he wants one. So maybe we'll see him down the line along with Booker T and maybe Scott Steiner. I'll throw it back to Chris White uh, for the uh, second segment on Raw on this uh, head-to-head simulcast. Yep, thanks, Eric. Back for the break on Back from the break on Raw, and we find Deborah leaving Stone Cold Steve Austin's dressing room when Michael Cole accosts her in the hall for a quick interview. He wonders if Austin and Rock can co-assist in the main event, but Deborah just blows him off. Taz is out next to take on Val Venus in a lumberjack match, with Taz picking up the win in less than a minute, standing tall, no pun intended, with the Acolytes as RTC retreat to the back. We cut backstage and we have William Regal sitting with Trish and Vince. Vince points out Animal on the WCW monitor and wonders how he feels a bit feels about the new WCW owner. Vince wishes Regal good luck in his upcoming tune-up match before he gets intimate with Trish. We then see Doink the Clown entertaining fans as JR mentioned that we have a Sunday on on Sunday at WrestleMania we have a Legends Battle Royal. Heyman scoffs at that notion and asks JR to tell it how it is. We've got a gimmick battle royal. Regal makes his way out for his tune-up match, but first he decides to take some time on the mic. He says the cure for insomnia is sleep, but he won't be resting until he beats Chris Jericho for that Intercontinental title. He's going to prepare for his match at Mania by challenging a member of a prestigious wrestling family, the Hollies. Crash comes out and accepts the challenge, and he's accompanied by Molly Holly. Regal gets a cheap shot in on Crash, um, grabs Holly, brings her into the ring to be his opponent. Regal puts her in the Regal stretch. Molly's tapping out. Crash comes in to break it up. Regal takes Crash down and he gets the stretch on him. But at that point, Doink charges in for the save. Pounds away on Regal. Doink hits a flying forearm and puts Regal in the lion tamer. Referees break it up. Doink removes his wig to show that it's really Chris Jericho. I never knew that Chris Jericho was Doink this whole time. This news. Regal back, uh, backs his way up the ramp, angry at being fooled once again. Uh... At this stage, we head backstage to see what Vince is up to some more. Uh, he sees Dustin Rhodes on the WCW monitor. And Vince tells a story about how Dustin used to be gold dust and once wanted Vince to pay for breast implants. He then gets distracted looking at Trish's chest and loses his train at fault. We end this segment of Raw with Jonathan Coachman interviewing Regal. He doesn't find what Jericho did very funny and books him in a match against the Big Show tonight. Over to you. Eric, uh, I'll toss it to I'll toss it to Lacey first. Uh, what's up, Lacey? I was I was just gonna say first things first. Fuck me, Taz got a win on WWF TV. This is this I need to be on WCW stuff or WF stuff more. Taz wins. You know, been jobbing out for fucking the last year that he's been here. Um, and the uh, reference back to Goldust and his boob job idea. Some things just should never be done. Uh, I did not have Dustin target uh, as one of Vince McMahon's specific targets, but but who would have thought? Um, we go back to Nitro and it's Vince McMahon again, and he's on the phone and he says it's just about that time. So it's the cruiserweight tag title match: uh, Elix Skipper and Kid Romeo against uh, uh, Kidman and Mysterio. Uh, Tony says it's uh, offensive to listen to Regal Barry WCW. 
calls him Steve Regal and says, yeah, WCW has had to do crazy things like put your ass over on television. There's another one. Mysterio and Kidman take the belts in a fast-paced match. And it's Sting, and he says he wouldn't miss this night for anything. He says the only thing that's sure about his future is nothing's for sure. And Rory, this one's especially for you. It's showtime, folks! If this was any other day, Eric. If this was any other day. And as we get you anticipating uh, the uh, main event of Monday Nitro, Ric Flair versus Sting... We'll take it back to Raw or to any comments from the peanut gallery. The one thing that obviously you didn't mention that I did really like um, just before the they came back off the break from WCW, there was a very, very good and very well-made NWA history video going for like, yes. the old NWA champs. Something that obviously I, I would imagine that the Fed guys knew that they were putting into the show. But a, a good if if that was and has been signed off by the Fed, a classy touch if they are killing it. Yeah, it was a nice. It, yeah, it was hard to tell who did the video, but it was a really nice homage, and it, it tied in with what Ric Flair said at the beginning. So it was a nice way to 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 uh, at least recognize that this isn't just a company that's been putting on mediocre wrestling for the last year and a half. That it does have value. Uh, and there's probably value in the WWF reminding people of that uh, so that they can get the best bang for their buck and however they want to treat this new property of theirs. still think the WWF would have had a greater stock in that video package than they did the Cruiserweight match. Uh, yes, I think that's... <laughs> yeah. Yes. So um, picking things back, on, back up on the raw side of things, and we have... Edge and Christian approaching Angle backstage. They're, te- they're pleased to tell him that Team Eck lives because uh, Regal was signed a six-man tag, pitting them against the Hardys and Chris Benoit. Angle gets excited, uh, but is sure to point out that he wasn't tapping out earlier. He was just reaching for the ropes. Edge and Christian say they believe him. They then offer to introduce him to an old friend who's a big fan of his, and in comes Rhino. Rhino tells Angle it's an honour to meet him and that any friend of Edge and Christian's is a friend that he's willing to bleed for. Christian calms down Rhino uh, while Angle says he's not quite sure of his integrity or intelligence, but the intensity is certainly there. Out in the arena, uh, JR and Heyman hype Sunday's uh, Austin versus Rock title match before showing an updated video package. That's then followed by highlights of the face-to-face interview from SmackDown to just kill a bit more time on Raw before we get to the big simulcast. Backstage, Jonathan Coachman interviews Deborah, asking her about the mindsets of both Austin and Rock. Deborah tells Coach that now's not a good time and walks off. Then we hear a voice say, out, and the tape cuts off. So please don't tell me, as alongside WCW, the Fed haven't bought some of those production goofs. We then see Vince getting suited up, telling Trisha time has nearly arrived to address the WCW fans. And we see him ask for a bit of luck, get a big kiss from Trish, and we head to commercial. At which point, um, Rory, anything on the last sort of 10, 15 of Raw, uh, that introduction of Rhino was certainly (laughs) to angle, certainly a meeting. It was. um, Hot take. Kurt Angle is pretty good at this all facets of pro wrestling thing, isn't he? His facial expressions during meeting Rhino are just, just glorious. We, we've talked about it a lot over the last 15 months and hopefully we'll be talking about it 
a lot more for the next 15 years. But Angle is just godlike, and I don't even mind slightly going off beam to talk about him for a few seconds here. He really is just the fucking best, unapologetically so. Just briefly on the updated My Way video, it's great that they did that. It would have been very easy for them to just show the same video package for the next four weeks. I don't think that would have been a bad thing, but it showed just how much importance they are laying on this match. And rightly so. We mentioned in our WWF edition in February, Chris. This is arguably biggest main event they ever put on. Certainly since we've been doing these shows, it is. And they are treating it as such. Obviously, everybody, if you haven't listened to it already, you really should have done do check out volume two where we will look at the build to Austin Rock in more detail. But you can tell just how lovingly they are putting this together and quite rightly so. Do you guys know, are you guys familiar with Hakeem Olajuwon? And I promise this is headed somewhere. Uh, Hakeem Olajuwon is uh, an NBA player who uh, is from Africa. Um, don't ask me where. Uh, but he was a soccer player and he just kept growing and growing and growing and growing until playing soccer became or, or football uh, became uh, unrealistic. So right when he was in high school, he started playing basketball. And within like four years, he went to uh, college in the U.S. and was drafted by the Houston Rockets. So between the age of like 15 and 20, he went from being somebody who never picked up a basketball to having somebody who now is known to having the best footwork of any big man in NBA history. And to me, Kurt Angle is like the Hakeem Olajuwon of the WWF, just a guy who came in with raw natural ability, put it all together, and now just it has every facet of the game just completely on lockdown. This guy is going to be an incredible asset to the WWF for years and years to come. It's it's still astounding how far he's come along. And every time you think, oh, he's got to have peaked, he he keeps going. And his promo ability is just off the charts. doesn't matter what he does what he's been given or what the situation is. He just nails it every time. It's utterly astounding. And we are the lucky ones. Well, WCW's luck about uh, about end. Oh, yeah. And uh, we cut back to Nitro, and it's Vince McMahon walking down a hallway, and I think this is some crossover with the WWF broadcast. And assured Ric Flair makes his way to ringside as Tony puts over Nitro in every measurable way. Now Hudson puts over Sting as a man who never jumped from WCW. Uh, I call it a woo-off opens us as they jockey for position. Um, and and just, to, just to put this on the record, uh, the idea of flair and a shirt here was a little bit uh, turn-offish, and then I realized, you know, if this guy's just paying homage to nitro if this is his way of making sure that every time this is broadcast that the nitro image comes up and and it's his way of doing it that that's great so regardless of why flair is wearing a shirt here and we can all speculate i think there's actually a good symbolic reason for him doing it Could uh, anyway wrestlemania 17 hockey shirt well it probably should have been you could just hear vince script or no script what the fuck shane Anyway, Sting wins a tie-up, and Rick and Charles Robinson trade shoves, so it's pretty clear that we're doing a little Greatest Hits Festival set here for Rick and Sting. Uh, Sting knocks down Flair multiple times. Rick takes over with a poke of the eyes, and you can tell this is being 100% called in the ring, and who better to do it? Uh, Sting fires back with corner chops and a drop kick, and Rick's take a, Rick takes a powder to ringside. The attitude of this match is two old quarterbacks trying to one-up each other. Uh, Sting with the big slam and 10 in the corner. 
Flair bump, uh, Flair bump pops Shivani. Uh, in a tie-up, Flair goes low and uh, on Sting to take the advantage. Flair drops the knee and struts. Flair goes to the top, and you know what happens next. But Flair avoids the drop kick uh, even still and locks in the figure four. And I put here, if Sting doesn't do the flexing thing, then what's even the point of this match? But he does it. Right on cue, Sting pounds his chest and breaks the hold. Strikes from Rick have no effect on Sting. Flair misses the over and out, which is rough to see. But Sting nails a super flex, turn Flair over, and Flair quits real quick, right in the middle. But then Sting picks up Rick, and they embrace. Like I said, this was a 25-minute festival set of an eight-minute wrestling match, and it was just what we all needed. Tony Schiavone takes us off the air. It has been a roller, an emotional roller coaster for all of us fans. The uncertainty of our jobs, our future, of what we love, of what we breathe, of what we live. We don't just work for WCW. We live WCW. And I know Flair, Sting, and the fans would agree. Rory, your thoughts on this last segment of WCW Monday Nitro, at least on Turner Broadcasting. Don't mind admitting I've got the chills just hearing you relay that, Eric. Watched it a couple of days ago, and it's all flooding back. It's all there, isn't it? Right, let's try and take this in turn. Let's look at the Sting-Flair match first. And again, it's another one I feel uncomfortable trying to break down normally as you say flair missing the flair flip in the corner would be something i'd be critiquing right here but i'm not about to do that on this show today i think it's plainly unfair because it's obvious what they were doing they were getting a 25 minute main event plan and squishing it into a eight and a half minute match because that is all they were afforded in every sense of the word and it was Sting Flair one more time. And here, I think that's the chicken soup for the soul we needed. I've gone on record in the past since I've been on these shows. I'm not the world's biggest Sting fan. And I don't think many people could really argue with me that we missed the peak of Ric Flair. Maybe one day we'll go back and do some older shows so we can live it and enjoy it with everybody else. That's a possibility for the future. But... None of that matters today. It's all about giving the WCW, the NWA fans, one more go around. Sting versus Flair. For me, although I'm not the world's biggest supporter of the match at Class of the Champions 1, I do think in many ways that's where the modern era, at least down south, really began. Because here's this brash young kid, he's come from the UWF, and Ric Flair, already steeped in history, Ric Flair, is giving him 45 minutes to make him. And Sting, as much as I have my own caveats about him, for me is the WCW wrestler of the 90s. And that Clash 1 match helped make him so. So it's only right and proper that we have the embodiment of the NWA, as was, and the embodiment of World Championship Wrestling getting to go out on top one more time. I don't think we're going to be seeing Sting anywhere that we dare to tread for a very long time. And it might well be for me that absence does make the heart grow fonder. Who knows, maybe in five or six years, I'll be clamoring to hear those words. It's showtime. 
let's not go crazy here. Anyway, if Sting does show up in the World Wrestling Federation, I will be even more surprised than I was that Monday Nitro was going to end if you told me this five years ago with a WWF simulcast. I think it's that unlikely. But hey, here we are. Well, and it, it it's a uh, we didn't even discuss this. We can now certainly, and most of our listeners will probably recognize that this kind of is a perfect circle for the broad for for Nitro. Uh, Flair Sting on episode one of Nitro, Flair Sting to close the the final Nitro, and it was really Flair Sting that um, I think you could at least point to as one of the instances that gave Crockett uh, the the momentum that it probably otherwise it wouldn't have had to at least attempt to compete with the WWF as it was going national. Um, the parallels between guys like Sting and the Ultimate Warrior are, are incredible. Uh, and it, it followed through uh, with that initial Crockett search alongside. Uh, and I think here it's just, you know, regardless of how the match goes, um, there, were, there, there was no other way to end this show. Um, Chris Lacey, you're an old school NWA guy. Um, you know, what were your thoughts on this? And and uh, was this the proper send off for everything going back to JCP starting in the, I think the 50s, right? Something like that. Just yeah. It's if you look at who is there, and not just the roster that obviously was on the show itself, but actually anyone in the roster as a whole the only two that have that lineage that can do what they did is Flair and Sting. Right, you, you say about going full circle in the first Nitro, I go back even further, the first big event that they ever that they did for TV, which obviously Clash One, which is one of my all-time favourite matches, and I will fight you, Rory, if you, you know, downplay it. <laughs> but it, Anytime. it is one of those of... It is you think of WCW at any point from the eighties when it became WCW through till the end, whether stings, crow sting, surfacing, wolfpack sting, it's sting and there's flair. And as I said earlier, when sort of we spoke about flair, you know, whether he thinks this is it same for sting, you know, he never, he never did jump. he, probably was offered it a few times but never did it you know he's he's got to be what late 40s now you know he's been doing this for around 20 years i can't see him being in the fed and their younger locker room um and you're not going to put sting as a main event in the fed so what sting sting doesn't have can't you wouldn't take him over there to go be in an IC title run. So I think this, you know, with all of the history, was the a beautiful way for them to to go out, you know, the two pillars of both generations of of NWA, JCP, WCW, embracing in the ring, you know. The only thing that needed more to push it further would have been if Arn was there as well, or you know Tully, some of the original Horsemen, and you know not so much now because he's a dickhead, but Lex, because Lex 
screams that classic WCW back when, you know, that was the wrestling show. It it is just one of those of when I when I look at this, I'm like, it was what eight nine minutes. It was the first start of a normal Sting Flair match, plus the big hits and the finish. I yeah I I don't care that Flair missed a missed a spot. You know what? He hasn't been in the ring for fucking months. It doesn't matter. It it was to me as someone who has been sort of seen this shit from way back. If you're going out, go out with class. Go out with what you are, and that is what WCW should and will be remembered as. Is the Fed that had Sting and Flair. Right. And I think having the backdrop of Tony Schiavone, you know, someone who rightfully so has been criticized uh, kind of here and there over the years, especially when the product is down, he tends to be down with it. But he does have his guys. And I think it's safe to say that Tony Schiavone is a flair and sting guy. And so to have him kind of provide the music to this match uh, going on in the ring, I think, was, uh, you know, a really perfect way to send this off. Hudson laid out. And let Tony Schiavone just kind of wax nostalgic about what all this meant to him as an old school JCP guy um, and what it meant to WCW as a whole. Chris White. Tony's, uh, sorry, I say Tony's comments. I should have said this. They really, really yeah. did get me going. And I doubt I'm alone in that. And, and, it, and it really another thing about this broadcast that kind of makes me sad in thinking about all these kind of stops along the way where WCW maybe could have. You know, not one thing or another, but it had all these other things come together, maybe held it together for a few more years is someone like a Tony Schiavone, you know, someone who could maybe have put a little bit more of emotion into the product when it was down to maybe, you know, sell it. Because if you listen to him during this match, it's a five star Clash of the Champions style match, but it's an eight minute TV match with, you know, two guys that haven't wrestled in, in months. But his passion makes us, you know, makes the match much, much better than it is. We see it all the time with Jim Ross. And now we know that Tony Schiavone is capable of it. It's really disappointing. Um, that he he's been capable of this and hasn't really delivered in spots where I think he really could have helped contribute to the product. The thing um, with that is though, is is it because he had lost his spark for it when we were getting the Russo shit and all all the bullshit that we've had for the last year and a half, where you know he believes in Sting and Flair. That is his wrestling the shit that he's had to talk over isn't what he likes or what he thinks should be on the show. So he, you know, it's hard to fake something if you can't get behind it. Yeah. I think you make a great point. I I don't think, I think both sides didn't really help each other in any way. Uh, He certainly wasn't given much to discuss. And uh, even even the little bit, even the few morsels throughout that, I think, got kind of swallowed up by the general malaise of that uh, cumulative run. Those two runs of Russo running cumulatively for about a year that really did seem to deflate the product permanently. Uh, Chris White, to you to close, you know, at least the WCW specific portion of the uh, last episode of Monday Nitro on TNT. Pick up on anything and everything we've discussed and just, you know, Mm -hmm. give your thoughts as everything winds down. Yeah, so listening to you guys break it all down, I've got three sort of distinct points in my mind. The first is specifically on the match. Um, Pure 
nostalgia and I, I think there's no other way you could close nitro um it's like a a picture book ending for something that is just and you hear tony afterwards and it is something that is just so sad um ultimately it's just a sad time for the people working in that company it's a sad time for fans it's a sad time for the business um and i mean we don't know how and if the wcw continues from here um in what form if it's like just completely dead if if the wwf give it its own sort of like second branded show we we just don't know but if this is the end um then i think it's like it's fitting you wouldn't you wouldn't want it any other way you wouldn't want to bring nitro back under a wwf umbrella as like a c or b level show which is all it would ever be and have it ruin this moment i think for me um yeah it was uh the greatest hits is is how you described it at points and i think it just sums it up really um my second real thought was on sting and sort of picking up on what rory said and i'm kind of off the opinion that and this is just maybe it's just like fan head and i've got my fantasy booking hat on but i think there'd be a real spot to have sting as a part-timer outside of the wwf title picture but also like not in a intercontinental type of picture just like isn't it a shame that mankind isn't around and you could do like a really really good mankind roasting feud is it like and and like just away from titles it doesn't need it and he comes in and he's there for like two to three months does a couple of pay-per-views and then he maybe goes away again and then you have him come back and he does a run a similar one against the undertaker also a character that has primarily existed um across the last decade outside of the title picture um in kind of the way that you would use sting in my mind if he was to come into the wwf and when i look at sting i look at a guy who's in his 40s past his prime but i i think because of the the fact that he has never been there and the depth of character the history the legacy of sting there's so many things you could do with him that would make him a really valuable asset to the wwf um and again too early to make any calls on who ends up where and and who never goes across or anything like that but if i was in the wwf and i had vince's ear he would be someone i'd be pushing um a lot um and it's interesting it will be interesting to see how it all falls out the last point really is kind of touching on how you eric mentioned the first nitro how we had flair v sting and and the last nitro flair v sting um and i mean we will do a full post post-mortem on wcw over the months and years um there's so much to go into and relive all with the benefit of hindsight now now we know how this company goes and 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 we can pinpoint the downfall of wcw historically and we'll be able to do that as a podcast 
but when I look back, I mean, you mentioned it's what five and a half years of Nitro. When I look back to the WrestleMania, so Nitro started in 1995. When I look back to the WrestleMania from 1995 and, and compare it to the card of the WrestleMania in 2001, there's 12 matches on the WrestleMania 2001 card, the WrestleMania 17 card. And there is one guy on that show who featured on the WrestleMania from 1995, and that's The Undertaker. And obviously there are so many things that have happened in the last five and a half years, the run of Nitro that have contributed to this. But in a sort of poetic way, it it kind of encapsulates like where it all went wrong as well. Um, I mean, if you were going to draw up a, a list of reasons why WCW has effectively died, Sting or Ric Flair are down the bottom um, by some distance, if they're even on it at all. But just like this, this company throughout the 90s, as the WWF was in its weak spots and really struggling, and you look back at that WrestleMania 11 card, and it is not good and to think how that company developed in the last five and a half years and what they've done with their roster and kind of how wcw had this real issue at the top of the card with just the same old guys and the same old guys kind of like in a really nice poetic way does encapsulate wcw for the duration of its nitro run yeah, I think the thing that I worry about with Sting coming in and guy not not just Sting, uh, Sting as part of a handful of the guys like your Booker T's, like your Steiners, like the guys who were featured on this show, which we can maybe deduce means that Vince McMahon is interested in using them in the future. DDP, for example, got promo time. They have to pick up wins on WWF television and for whatever reason despite all the kayfabe busting angles that have gone on on both shows for the last five years Vince McMahon is still weird about like protecting his guys in in situations um his top guys and I just wonder uh if they bring in Sting if they bring in Booker T if they bring in Scott Steiner who are those guys going to defeat to establish to Raw's now much larger audience that they are top-line guys who deserve matches against The Undertaker and The Rock and Triple H and uh, you know any any of those top-line guys. There's going to be a delicate balancing act that goes on here, um, no matter whether or not WCW remains its own brand, whether the people are integrated into the WWF shows, however it goes, there's going to be a really interesting thing to look at, is how are those guys established as credible to go up against those top-line WWF guys? it's a really interesting hypothetical that I don't think I can really answer because (laughs) Vince has, has demonstrated over the course of this podcast that when someone like a Chris Jericho, who of course within WCW, Chris Jericho, we're not talking about sting here. Like they, they have their, their rungs on the ladder and they, they were not the same, but when Chris Jericho comes in, like, you do get this period of time where it's like we're going to beat him and beat him and beat him like he's like we need to sort of establish early that like our guys are better than their guys 
And then once he's been there for some time and kind of survived a lot of bad booking, then we right now we build him and integrate him because he's one of ours now. <laughs> Which if you are going to do, I mean, we'll touch on like kind of the end of um, Nitro and the simulcast. Of course, we'll get to that soon. Um, and kind of some sort of like Vince versus Shane brand warfare type storyline where Shane is in charge of the WCW guys in my mind like that could go on a very very long time but there are some guys that I would leave out of that like a sting like you need you need a lot of top guys to make it anywhere near credible as a storyline but like leaving a sting out of it and then just six months later once that's wrapped up in a year or two years or like i mean i'm talking like crazy hypotheticals here but like then just have sting appear and i would happily give us give sting a victory over the undertaker in a big pay-per-view match i would happily do that i mean can any of you fathom vince mcmahon making that decision like the undertaker his guy who never left and probably had plenty of chances against the guy that never left wcw and had plenty of chances to i mean if that match ever does happen under a wwf umbrella vince mcmahon is not going to be giving sting the win there which would create big problems i think storyline wise so it's one thing is what i would see and like to see and what i would consider the right thing to do and an entirely different question as to realistically what Vince McMahon would book his guys to do against guys he's perceived to be WCW talent. And Vince McMahon, uh, speaking of, of the gentleman, the very last images of Nitro on TNT are an abrupt cut to Monday Night Raw currently in progress. And we see Vince McMahon making his way to the ring to you, Chris. So, yeah, it, it seems as if there was a, a, t- a slight timing issue because uh, Vince comes down to the ring slightly earlier on Raw and he's he's in the ring. But he accuses Lillian of not showing him the proper es- respect in uh, announcing him, so demands that she give him another introduction. He heads back up the ramp and uh, I think everything on Nitro seems to have wrapped up. So Vince is ready. Uh, his music plays again. Lillian reintroduces him and Vince is in the ring. For the first time ever. For the first time ever in sports entertainment history, this broadcast is not only being seen here on TNN and Cleveland, Ohio, but it's also being seen across TNN, Turner Network Television. Now there's only one way that that can happen. There's only one way and one man that can make history like this happen. Obviously, you all know I have acquired WCW. That's right, I bought my competition. Now then, it's not exactly final well it is and it isn't you see the only thing is time warner can't sell this property to anybody else because nobody really knows what to do with it 
So therefore, this is what's going to happen. Time Warner is practically begging me. They're practically begging me to buy WCW, and I have agreed. There's only one small caveat that they're hearing for the first time. And that is this. Time Warner, they've signed the contract, and I will sign the contract. But I'll sign it this Sunday on pay-per-view at WrestleMania. And I'll sign it when Ted Turner himself walks down the aisle at WrestleMania and delivers the contract in front of me. Now then, some would say, geez, Vince, how did you do it? How did you do it, Vince? I mean, you were up against this media conglomerate, Time Warner. You're up against a billionaire. I mean, how could you possibly do this? Well, some might say I had a little help along the way with certain superstars and things of that nature, but quite frankly, the truth is I did it all on my own. It was my effort. It was my money. And it's like, okay, Vince, how can you possibly beat a billionaire? Well, there's only one answer to that, and that's become one yourself. So now, you have to understand, when Ted Turner walks down the aisle at WrestleMania and practically begs me to sign the contract, I'm going to do it, and then I'm going to reserve a seat for Ted. I'm going to put him right over here, right in the corner, because I want Ted Turner to watch what I do to my very own son, Shane. He starts off bragging about how there's only one man who can make history like this uh, tonight. We cut over to Nitro in Panama City and see the WCW fans watching Vince on the video wall. He brags about buying his competition and claims that Time Warner was practically begging him to purchase WCW because they couldn't get anyone else to purchase the company since no one seems to know what to do with it. Vince reveals that the deal wasn't quite finished, but that he's got Time Warner to first to agree to a small condition. He says Time Warner signed the contract to sell, but he's waiting until WrestleMania to sign the deal himself. His demand is that Ted Turner himself come down the aisle and deliver the contract to him at WrestleMania in the ring. Vince next talks about people wanting to know how he somehow defeated Ted Turner and his big media conglomerate. Vince says the only way you can beat a billionaire like Ted Turner is to become a billionaire yourself. Vince also feels that while some say he had a little help, in his view, he put WCW out of business all by himself. Vince says after he signs the contract, he'll invite Turner to sit at ringside and watch what he does to his own son, Shane. Because you have to grab your competition by the throat and you've got to squeeze the life out of your competition. Vince then switches gears and he... Uh, 
asks the fans what he should do with WCW if he should just put it on the shelf. He says he could entertain himself by watching old WCW tapes, laughing at Hulk Hogan and how WCW thought they could beat him. Vince then suggests that instead of shutting it down, he could just turn it around, since he and the WWF knows how to do that. Vince then wonders who should be part of a new WCW and asks the fans for their input on some possible signees. Vince goes through and names some of them, and asks fans to either choose thumbs up or thumbs down. Vince starts with Hogan, who gets a mixed reaction. Luger's next, which is notably less positive than Hogan. Vince mentions Booker T, which gets our first positive reaction, followed by positive reactions for Buff Bagwell and Scott Steiner. Vince asks about Sting, and the crowd cheers, and then Vince mentions Goldberg, and the fans really pop big for that one. Vince then talks about deciding to come before the fans in Cleveland instead of flying down to the Redneck Riviera, because had he done that, he would have lined up every single WCW wrestler to tell them to their face, you're fired. He says that's exactly what's going to happen because he's putting WCW completely on the shelf. Vince says he's buried WCW and will continue to bury anyone in the world who dares to try and compete with Vince McMahon. Vince is suddenly interrupted by Shane, but Shane isn't in Cleveland at all. Surprise, Dad! You're in Cleveland, Ohio. And I'm here in Panama City Beach, Florida. Standing in a WCW ring. And as usual, Dad, your ego has gotten the best of you. Your ego has gotten the best of you. I mean, Dad, you wanted to finalize this deal at WCW at WrestleMania. You wanted, you have the audacity to ask Ted Turner himself to come down and finalize that deal? Well, Dad, that's just the opportunity that I was looking for. Because, Dad, the deal is finalized with WCW. And the name on the contract does say McMahon. Contract reads Shane McMahon. Oh my God! I don't believe it! That's right. I now own WCW. And then, just like WCW did in the past, I went kicked your ass in the past, and it will again. That's exactly what's going to happen to you this Sunday at WrestleMania. Vince is shocked as Shane gets on the mic, tells Vince about how his ego had gotten the better of him once again. Shane brings up what Vince said about finalizing the deal at WrestleMania. But Shane tells us the deal is already finalized. Shane says the name on the contract does say McMahon, but instead reads Shane McMahon. Shane caps it all off with a big I now own WCW and promises that they will beat the WWF again. 
like it did before, and he will also kick Vince's ass at WrestleMania. Shane walks off while Vince stands in the ring, devastated out of being cheated, devastated at being cheated out of his ultimate conquest. And that brings to a close Nitro for good for now. Uh, Rory, I'll come to you first. What do you make of this simulcast? Top of the hour on Raw and uh, to close out the final broadcast of WCW Nitro. Uh, You could have written it, couldn't you? No, you really, really couldn't have. Okay, plenty, more than enough to unpack here. Let's go back to the beginning of this promo when Vince marches out. Firstly, he did come down to the ring a little bit early. I bet he just couldn't contain himself, quite frankly. But they got around that with getting Lillian to reintroduce him for a second time quite nicely. Let's face it, that was probably a shoot from Vince in any regard. And we alluded to it a little bit earlier. Where does Mr. McMahon end? And where does Vince McMahon begin? I'm not sure anatomically I really want to find out the answer to that. But nevertheless, during the eight to ten minutes of this promo, we got to see both of them often at exactly the same time when mr mcmahon is talking about his capture of wcw and that he has squeezed his competition he's become a billionaire himself he's going to march ted turner down to ringside at wrestlemania to sign the contract i'm not going to insult the intelligence of anybody listening to this we all know that it's character stuff but then at the same time Is it really? We know him well enough to know, that is, we don't really know him at all, that if he could, he would. He would fly down to Panama City and fire the entire WCW roster face to face, one by one. It isn't a stretch to believe it. Only the boundaries of practicalities, such that he ever adheres to them anyway, would prevent him from doing so. He was, in so many ways, living out his fantasy here. I bet even in his wildest dreams, and again, I'm going to leave it to others to assess what Vince McMahon's wildest dreams really might consist of, or who they might consist of, uh, even a week ago, he would never have thought this was going to happen. And he was, to use the immortal Homer Simpson line in Homer Badman, I feel like a kid in some kind of a store. And he just could not believe his luck, and that shone through in this promo. Now, we pivot slightly to the second half before the storyline stuff happens again, and when he is doing the assessment with the crowd of various people, he might, underline italicized bold, might want to bring in. You guys and other listeners might well disagree. That seemed, again, fairly legitimate to me. The list of names he drew from was both arbitrary seemingly so hence bagwell getting in there and probably quite considered everybody he mentioned there and perhaps even more importantly everybody he didn't mention there suggests to me that he's at least thinking about it now with people like steiner and indeed sting goldberg most importantly of all as lacy brought up earlier their whole contract situation is a lot more complicated not even the great vince mcmahon It is ultimate apex where he is right now. Crash those very easily. Although I'm sure he'd want to die trying if he could. But nevertheless, that list of names was fascinating to me. And you bet 
Vince McMahon will be noting down every single one of the crowd reactions there. He'll be assessing them decibel by decibel, and he will be coming back to them. Mark my words. But that is for another day. What we have got here is imperiously good storytelling. This is fantastic. Yes, you could turn around and say it fell into their laps, but they still had to grab it. What better way? Just the final, final cherry icing cake for what's already been a very well-built Vince McMahon versus Shane McMahon match at WrestleMania than having Shane snatch WCW under Vince's nose. What better way to do it? That is ingenious. Uh, I hope whoever came up with that one first gets the biggest slice of the cake. That was wonderful stuff. And it brought me right back around. I was letting my head drift thinking of who Vince McMahon is going to contract negotiate with from that list. And I snapped back into it and thought, yes, bloody hell. We've got the small matter of WrestleMania in six days time. And then after another moments or two reflection, it came back to me what I wrote in my intro to this show. that that is how the final edition of Monday Nitro went off the air, promoting a match that will take place in the middle of the card for WWF's WrestleMania. That is where we are, gentlemen. Um, Lacey, uh, what did you make of this close to Nitro, this special simulcast? So first things first, I'm going to bring up the one bit that no one else has. The voice of ECW, the creator of ECW, announcing that WWF has beaten WCW. Yep. Meta as fuck for this show. This this is that point where, you know, everything that we do links into this. This is the reason, one of the reasons I wanted to be on here. You know, I am Kid Extreme, but the the brainchild and the face of extreme is the one that delivers line not jr not shivani Heyman delivers the line vince has beaten and now controls wcw and you know that is why this is arguably one of the biggest events that we will ever see in wrestling this is bigger than black friday or black saturday this is bigger than the first mania this is bigger than clash of the champions running against mania four this is that sort of thing of oh fuck this is a monumental shift in wrestling as for the promo vince beautifully blowing smoke up his own ass you know his ego in that and i'm gonna make ted turner walk down and hand me the contract it's the sort of thing that as someone that's won the war would do and is a great callback to all the shit that bischoff used to say in the middle of the 83 weeks run and whether that was planned or not i don't know but it it fits so so well that it's that it calls back everything that's happened before then you know he goes full caesar with the thumbs up thumbs down on the roster of the big stars and you sort of knew that certain people were going to get pops 
and you could see on Vince's face, I think he was a little bit surprised by obviously the buff Bagwell pop and the Booker T one. But that sort of slightly interested sort of look in his eyes of like, all right, I get that's a good thing we got Booker then. Um, it was just that, and then Shane coming out and going, your ego's got the better of you, pulls you all the way back round to remembering that there is mania on Sunday and there's a match on Sunday that they're building towards, and. Is is it a bit of a kick in the teeth to OCW that you know it's not the main event they're building towards? Yes and no. Is Shane Vince one of the bigger matches at Mania? Yeah. Is it maybe second or third of the biggest matches on the show for the for the for Mania? Yeah. So it's not like it is just because it will probably be in the middle of the show. It's not just a throwaway mania match, but you know Vince loves the fact that the final thing people will see ever on a WCW TNT show is a build for his own match against his son, promoting his big show with his match on their show and as I said it's going to be one of those moments where this this is one of the biggest moments in wrestling history and will live long in the memory of anyone that's watched it Eric bring us home on the simulcast Uh, there's just nothing more Vince McMahon than coming out to gloat and in five minutes, turning it into an angle to further a storyline and push anybody who's on the fringe of or on the uh, undecided ticket of whether or not to buy WrestleMania 17, trying to push those last few people into pressing the pay button. Like, of course he would. This was never about WCW as much as it was about anybody competing with Vince McMahon and thinking that his, his empire is going to you know, shrink or crumble uh, despite that opposition. Like, he just, he did like any, any you know, uh, general would do. He basically, you know, toppled the the, the territory, toppled the, the area, incorporated into his, his fiefdom, his kingdom, and kept things moving along, uh, you know, moving forward. That's all this was ever. And so I think it was an incredible promo. And the angle is just, uh, it's one of the best they've ever done. And I, I think to have this opportunity to incorporate this real life purchase of WCW and all of the animosity, you know, put on or otherwise uh, between Vince McMahon and Ted Turner um, and, and all of that, to turn it into a storyline that, that will probably push many buys of WrestleMania beyond what they're already projected to do. It's just the most Vince McMahon thing. Uh, in, in hindsight, this is probably exactly how it was ever going to go the minute Vince McMahon somehow won the, the, the war. You know, him purchasing WCW uh, is probably more of an icing on the cake moment as opposed to him feeling like he has stifled his, his competition, those outside forces. So, 
Yeah, I think this went exactly how, in hindsight, it probably was always going to go if, if the WWF won this war. But gosh, was it pulled off just perfectly. And it just shows you that when the WWF really wants to, it, they're just the best at it. Uh, you know, the angles, the storytelling, the surprises. And this is just them, you know, kind of dunking the basketball at, at the end of a long game. Just perfectly well executed. And if I'm a longtime fan of WCW, gosh, I'm just like, you're probably as deflated as the losing team would be in a championship match because this was just uh, this was a kick in the gut by somebody uh, both gloating in real life and turning your product into a storyline, as Rory and everybody else said, to further his own thing on his own channel. Uh, a lot of emotions here, but from an angle standpoint, from an execution standpoint, this is upper echelon stuff. Yeah, looking at this as a, a, a sort of impartial wrestling fan with no real company allegiance this is just perfect and looking at this through the lens of diehard wcw fan it's just heartbreaking um the last guy to stand in a wcw ring is shane mcmahon like say that like five years ago it's just unfathomable it's just perfect the the one thing i think vince will be less than like overwhelmingly elated with is that i bet he wishes there was one more raw before wrestlemania just so he could really drive home the the owner of wwf versus the owner of wcw slant to that match which is just like an unbelievable extra layer when you consider it's father versus son like um but like that element to it as well i wish I bet he wishes he could just drive that home, but just perfect. And like the first two thirds of the promo before Shane gets on screen and how much of that is Vince McMahon, the guy and how much of it is Mr. McMahon, the dastardly Hill WWF owner we've seen on screen for the last, however many years. Um, And at that point, I think the two perfectly merged into one entity and the payoff to it with Shane swooping in under his dad's nose to sign that contract to become the owner just because of the, 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 the greed for flaunting the victory as much as possible on Vince McMahon's behalf is just perfect storytelling. Um, and it's as someone who has been watching all of the WWF programming like if you were to say to me however many months ago like Vince V Shane at Wrestlemania is going to be outright one of the matches you are looking forward to the most <laughs> on a show that has the card Wrestlemania 17 does uh, it's mind blowing but it just is an absolute credit to um, how right WWF can get their high level storytelling when they're at their best but for um, completionist's sake, although it, it does seem rather trivial, seeing as we've literally just said goodbye to one third of, of this project out with a whimper in a McMahon family angle, um, we do have to see through the rest of Raw. Um, and uh, we kick off that second hour with a match between the Hardy Boys and Chris Benoit versus Kurt Angle, Edge, Kurt Angle and Edge and Christian in a six-man tag. 
fairly standard stuff with the finish seeing Benoit submitting Christian with a cross face after about two minutes after the match we get into a brawl with all six guys but Rhino runs out he nails Matt Hardy with a gore Lita gets in the ring to tend to Matt but she turns around and takes a huge gore of her own we're back from a break JR and Heyman recap the assault the undertaker suffered at the hands of triple h on smackdown last week before we get an interview with kevin kelly uh interviewing uh, the undertaker and kane about the main event kelly brings up the fact that triple h has the night off and uh, taker says that triple h is smart for doing so but he he can hide behind vince stephanie and cops but he can't hide from facing him at wrestlemania Taker shows us the 16 stitches he's got in his head, saying that tasting his own blood made him hungry, and the only thing that will satisfy him is uh, beating Triple H on Sunday. Taker says as far as Austin and Rock go tonight, he can respect the fact that the two have their own issues, but if they aren't on the same page, neither man may make it to WrestleMania. We get Test versus X-Pac next, with Eddie Guerrero serving as a special guest ref, with X-Pac picking up the win after some Albert interference. Following the break, we have our next big newsworthy moment from Raw. Mick Foley is here and he makes his way to the ring as Heyman reminds us that he was fired in December. Foley gets on the mic, talks about why he's here and throws in a plug for his upcoming book, Foley is Good. Foley says WrestleMania wouldn't be WrestleMania without him, so he's gotten himself involved in one of the matches. Vince comes out, he's on the ramp and he tells, uh, says he's not in the mood for this, unsurprisingly. Vince reminds Foley that he fired him and threatens to have cops arrest him for trespassing if he doesn't leave now. Foley um, feels that Vince is trying to tell him he can't be a part of WrestleMania and uh, then offers a different scenario and explanation. Vince reminds uh, Foley, sorry, reminds Vince of how in June 2000, Vince left the WWF to become a genetic jackhammer. And this left Foley in charge as the WWF commissioner, bringing an era of fun and prosperity to the company. Foley then mentions how Vince came back to power in the beginning of December and fired him three weeks later. Foley says he knew what Vince had in mind. So he met with Linda before she was forced into a sanitarium and queues up a video dated 5th of December 2000 on the Titantron, which shows Foley meeting with Linda. Foley in the video talks about Vince making his return last night. He feels that this might, Vince might not want him around for the long haul, so he may not be commissioner by the time Vince sees this, but he still wants the WWF to be run in a fair manner. So he's going to be embarking on a long signing session with Linda. Linda's there. She's got a, le- a huge stack of legal documents ready to be signed. Vince is absolutely fuming. And Foley tells him that those documents are legal and Vince's life is about to change. Foley pulls out one of the contracts, which states that he has the right to referee any match of his choosing at WrestleMania. Foley tells Vince that he's going to be exercising that right, and the match he has chosen to officiate is Vince McMahon's street fight with Shane. Foley wraps up by telling Vince to have a nice day, and Vince is being livid and outsmarted for the second time tonight. Rory, Mick Foley back on our screens. We were so devastated to bid farewell to him in December, but he's back. And they've kind of just written it out for like the rest of time now. Foley can just turn up whenever and it'd be like contract with Linda, like Foley forever. Foley forever. Sing it loud, sing it proud. Climb up onto your rooftops to do it, everybody. And 
never mind what your neighbours might think. They'll join in in due time. Really, they will. Anyway, yeah, Foley is back. And isn't that just so fucking refreshing? We talked about it on our December show, Chris, that it looked like his absence was only going to be temporary. His wife was uh, giving birth. I think she has now. So he has now returned. And if they did, I, I'm going to say, I'm in a positive mood now all of a sudden. I'm going to say that they really did shoot that segment on December the 5th last year and just kept it in the lockbox for whenever they needed it. But when Foley was coming back full time, they had it right there. It wouldn't surprise me if they actually filmed three or four of those, depending on what the situation Foley returned into ended up being, as it was the week before WrestleMania. So we are going to go with the one which is he can referee the match of his choosing. Can't wait to see what he does in that one. I admit I'm completely biased. I'm wearing a huge ear-to-ear smile on my face when talking to you. All aspects of journalistic impartiality have gone right out the window. Foley forever. Eric, what did you make of this sort of whole segment of Raw and also the return of Mick Foley? I I thought they put a a whole lot of needless explanation into a wrestler coming back from being fired, which has happened from the beginning of time. Uh, I mean, it was a great segment, but like they really were stretching the bounds of credibility here. I mean, your own read was, you know, before Linda got put in a sanitarium, they signed a, (laughs) they had the foresight to sign a bunch of contracts. One of which just happens to fit this super specific scenario. Um, (laughs) But it's it's Foley, so like fair or not, he gets a pass for all of it. Of course, he you know he's he's perfect in this role, um, and you know I don't know whether this Vince McMahon versus Shane McMahon owner of WCW versus owner of WWF uh, needed any more uh, shine on it, but you know you're gonna put Foley in there. I guess it kind of allows for you know some extra stuff to go on between two guys who aren't really great workers who are probably going to have to work a solid, you know, at least 10 or 15 minute segment because of the, the, the scope of the affair and it being WrestleMania. So putting Foley in there just gives somebody else in there who knows what they're doing, uh, you know, space to fill time and to help direct traffic uh, between Vince and Shane, who are both, you know, intrinsic to the world of wrestling, but are not wrestlers. And so practically speaking, um, I think it helps the match, um, and I think it maybe is something that the match needed, but putting it here uh, in light of everything that happened at the uh, end of the first hour of Raw, um, I, I don't know. I, I think the way that they're doing this maybe is a little bit too squished and a little bit too crammed, but due to the timing of the purchase and everything, maybe this is just the best case scenario. So I like the outcome, but I do think it all kind of happened way too fast. Yeah, this this screamed to me like maybe when <laughs> when um this all came together and Foley they've they've kind of worked out that Foley's gonna be back and referee this match. Maybe it was just a little bit before the WCW purchase and stuff had all gone through and this was gonna be like just the the way Vince got screwed on this raw ahead of WrestleMania and then right. everything happened with WCW when it did in the past week and they were like, well, let's just keep it all in there like, and bring Foley back anyway. Yeah, um, I think it was planned anyway, because we had the stuff with Foley 
Al Snow turned up to his house uninvited, mm-hmm. probably not for the first time, at the beginning of the month. So I think they had it in their locker at the very least. And and like just didn't waver from that, despite the fact that there yeah. were some rather large developments that, <laughs> that they then tied to the very same match. Um, Lacey, bring us home for this first sort of half hour of the second hour of Raw. So I have to say first, I absolutely love seeing Rhino come in and murder people. Brilliant. It's good to see that he is going to be able to be the fucking beast that he is. To the Test X Park match was comedy just with Guerrero's cheating ref style, which was just funny. Um, but yeah, Foley, as everyone's pretty much said, you know, the fact of these stack of papers basically means that they've now got carte blanche to use Foley for whatever the fuck they want at any point, and they can just call back to, remember those papers I signed? Beautiful. And the thing is, it makes sense for a guest ref to be in that match between Shane and Vince. And the fact that it's a street fight and we can imagine there's going to be weapons and shenanigans, because you're not going to get a wrestling classic. It is going to be a, a weapons walking brawl. Who better to be in the middle of it than Foley? And yeah, more Foley on my TV, the better. So we come to the final half hour of raw and following the break we get the jericho versus big show match that was booked by regal earlier on the show this one goes about two minutes regal interferes costs jericho the match and uh, is who's laid out by a huge choke slam from the big show show celebrating when kane comes in with a chair uh, waxing with it causes show to tumble out over the ropes raven runs in two jumps on kane's back looks for a sleeper but kane is able to shrug him off and hits a choke slam of his own Backstage, we see the Rock ask a random production worker back, uh, for directions to Steve Austin's dressing room. Once the guy points him in the direction, the Rock does his usual "it doesn't matter" bit to him. We cut over to WWF New York for a promo from the Dudleys. Devon says Spike is hurt following the angle last week, but he's recovering. But it, he's recovering, and it will take more than Rhino goring him for a table to keep him down. Bubba talks about TLC two. It's happening in six days at WrestleMania and proclaims they're going to be keeping the titles in Dudleyville. Backstage, uh, Steve Austin's talking with Deborah when The Rock walks up, wanting a moment of Austin's time. Rock tells Austin neither of them want to team up, but as long as they don't mess with each other, they can coexist in the match. Austin tells Rock he's cool with that, but once the match is finished, all bets are off and The Rock agrees. Up next, we do have the final match in the history of the Monday Night Wars. Stone Cold Steve Austin teaming up with The Rock to face The Undertaker and Kane. Rock stares Austin down, but that allows Kane to get the jump on him and things get started. Kane pounds away on Rock in a corner, whips whips him across, but Rock ducks a clothesline and hits a flying forearm. Rock sets up Kane for an early Rock bottom, but Taker comes in. So Rock lets go of Kane to fight him off. Kane clotheslines Rock, connects with a boot and chokes chokes him on the mat before tagging in Taker who pounds away on Rock. Taker hits a flying clothesline that gets two and then tags Kane back in. The Rock tries to rally but Kane stops that with a right hand and lays the boots to him. Kane comes off the ropes but Rock hits a spine buster and rolls over and makes the tag to Austin. Taker also gets the tag, the two exchange punches uh, with Austin getting the advantage following a knee. Taker then whips Austin 
but uh, Austin lowers the head and lands a kick. Uh, but Taker, sorry, lowers his head and Austin lands a kick. Dex Kane, but gets cut off with a clothesline. Rock goes outside. He pulls Kane off the apron, so him and Rock, uh, him and Kane uh, brawl around the floor while Austin whips Taker and hits a fez press and begins unloading on him. Austin goes for an elbow drop, but Kane nails him from behind. Taker follows up with a big boot. Rock and Kane are fighting out on the floor again when Taker scoops Austin up, but Austin slips out of it. Austin goes for a stunner. The Taker shoves him right into the rock on the apron, hits him with a choke slam. Taker sets Austin up for a last ride, but at this point, Triple H runs in with a chair. Wax Taker in the back. Kane lays out Triple H on the floor, but Austin covers the fallen Undertaker and grabs the pin for his team. Taker is not happy with Triple H and glares out of him as he backs up on the ramp. Uh, to celebrate the win, Austin gets some beer tossed into him uh, in his usual beer bash. Uh, the Rock takes him out with a stunner. Rock calls for some beer of his own, cracks one open and sets it beside Austin's head. The Rock heads up the ramp, but takes a moment to toast his fallen WrestleMania opponent as we fade to black and bring to a close the final roar of the Monday Night Wars. Eric, I'll come to you first. What did you make of the closing chapter of this era of Monday Night Professional Wrestling being so crucial? Well, you know... As an episode of Raw alone, it was perfect for what it needed to set out to accomplish, which was to go home to WrestleMania. Uh, and, and, you know, you can fill up some of the, you know, uh, pick up some of the scraps on SmackDown. But, like, gosh, this was a really good go-home show. They got hits for all of the top matches, uh, the tag titles, Vince and Shane, you know, plenty of action, world title, Triple H, Undertaker. Um, you know, it was just an, an incredible go-home show. And... The, the main event, I think, was, you know, pretty obvious that, you know, if you expected this to have a clean finish, get your head examined. But it did heat up Triple H Undertaker, which has kind of been clumsily built, uh, respectfully, you know, to respectfully say. Uh, heat that up right before Mania. Um, you know, hint that maybe The Rock does have Austin's number after the last two encounters went against The Rock. Um and just to sow some seeds of doubt in those top line uh, matches, I think this was a really excellent episode of Raw. And I think, you know, if when you factor in all the WCW stuff to close the first hour, like this is this is without a doubt a landmark episode, maybe the landmark episode of Monday Night Raw. And like you put so eloquently, the very last Raw of the uh, Monday Night Wars is a perfect episode of Monday Night Raw. And like, if that's just not representative of how this has gone for the past couple of years, I, I don't know what is. But as a standalone episode and as an episode to bring together the WCW issues uh, and to bring home the Vincent Chain things and to build your top line matches, gosh, this is just hard to argue with. And, you know, I, I think we're looking at a WrestleMania where maybe you finally have The Rock topple Austin. And, you know, Triple H looks really strong. So it's just, you know, really, really good. I'm a lot more excited for WrestleMania. And Benoit Angle, let's not forget about that, too, just as, as just kind of a, a throw-in. So, like, I'm a lot more excited about Mania 17 than I even was, you know, going into this. Um, who knows? I think no complaints at all about any of it. Lacey, what did you make of the close of this Monday Night War? So, Raw as a whole... As Eric sort of said, it has hit everything 
for all the matches going into Mania except two that I can think. Um, obviously, the women's title match isn't. There's nothing for that on here, and there's nothing for the gimmick battle royal other than Jericho dressing up as Doink. But every other match has had something to build towards it, so you know that when you see Mania, you know why these guys are having a match, and that is perfect promotion for a pay-per-view. Um, as for the main event, yeah, we all know there wasn't going to be a clean finish. You know, you've got Austin and Rock, Taker and Kane. If they're going to have a proper clean match, that's a fucking pay-per-view main event. That's not a Raw before Mania main event. You know, you're not going to get a full match. So we knew that it was going to be an iffy finish. But it worked for what it was. It worked that Austin and Rock had their moment, you know, Rock stunnering Austin, leaving out with the beer. You had Taker and Trips have their moment, you know, Taker costing the match and coming down and getting it interfering. Everything intertwined perfectly as that main event and throughout the show that if anyone's ever sort of going, how do you build for a pay-per-view? How do you do your go-home show? This is how you do a go-home show. And then to top that off, that half an hour of the two hours was spent on something that going in, they didn't know they they had or were going to do as a build-up, yet still managed to do it with the simulcast stuff. This, this is great TV. And, you know, yeah, it's the end of an era. Yes, it's the end of having two, two wrestling shows to choose on a Monday night. But if Raw can stay at this level at least we're going to have a decent wrestling show to watch every Monday night. Rory, uh, wrap up the uh, the episode of Raw and wrap up this episode of the podcast. A couple of quick things. Eric, I fear that you might have marked your own card there by saying The Rock might topple Austin. We're doing our WrestleMania show straight after the pay-per-view itself in just a few days' time. I have made a note of you saying that, Eric, so just be warned, okay? A brave call if ever there was one, but I expected nothing else from you, good sir. Episode of Raw, tremendous go-home show. I don't want to overplay our hand too much on this one because, Chris, we talk about the build a lot in episode two of our three volumes this month. So I'm just going to say this about how the final Raw of the Monday Night Wars, God, I can still barely say it, finished up. It involved five guys at the end, and here we go. Kane, WWF guy. The Rock, WWF guy, if ever there was one. Undertaker, in that iteration, WWF guy. Triple H, in that iteration, WWF guy. Stunning Steve Austin and Stone Cold Steve Austin might as well be completely different people. WWF guy. History is forever written by the winners. And that is how, as we return to March 2021, close out the third and final volume of our March 2001 shows. What a ride it has been over the last month what a ride it has been over the last 
seven and a half years that we have come to this point where we can now officially say that we are now down to just one promotion per month in one fell swoop, it seems like. And I say that as somebody who, and I'm sure I speak for all of you guys when I say this as well, to Chris, as you came along in 2014, nearly said 94, either would have worked, in 2014, 2015 for me, 2016 for Eric. I'm sure all of us, when we first joined this podcast, three dates immediately sprang to mind as landmarks that we would be covering. November 1997, May 1999, and March 2001. And we have now completed all of them. We have hit those marks. And I, I'm going to allow myself a Vince McMahon-esque moment of self-promotion here. I think on November 1997, May 99, and here March 2001. And yeah, I'm going to say it. Sod being humble. Every other show we've ever recorded, the 280 or so shows we've done, we have lived it like we've loved it. And we've really loved it. But these three shows in particular, these are the ones that, especially when we started, Eric, altering our presentation of the WCW shows in October of last year, that is when it really started to motor into view for me. And I'll be honest, I did allow myself the briefest flicker of doubt as to whether we would be able to do it justice or not. But as they were always going to be, my doubts were completely alleviated. So, Eric, I'll come to you first to wrap up. We've done it. Yeah, it's been a hell of a ride. Um, like you said, I picked up uh, with the project in, uh, I think, October of 2016. So October 96. Um, and... Yeah, you kind of know that these things are ahead of you. Uh, but because we stay truthful to what was really going on at the time and what was being reported as at least contemporary with the time we're covering, um, it, it, it's, it was challenging because we've known for, you know, you don't really think about this when you're covering WCW when it's, you know, killing Ron the ratings and Hogan's on top and Sting super hot. But, but I think once we got out of that period and we kind of realized in that early to mid-99 phase, like, okay, we really need to start thinking about this more seriously because the good times are over and they ain't never coming back. Um, and, and, yeah, so we soldiered on as much as I think the news and I think that the, um, you know, what we go by uh, to, to create this show – allowed for WCW to seem like it would turn it around, be viable, et cetera. But yeah, like you said, around the late part of last year, it became necessary to not just treat this as a show that just suddenly goes off the air. Uh, because I think that even though that's how it was presented at the time, it caught, it would be disingenuous to the folks who listen to us um, and have kind of been on this journey through a lot of really bad shows on WCW for the past year and a half. So I'm really glad that we've done it. I think that we've been super faithful to everything that happened. And I think we've presented kind of the, you know, first uh, chronological contemporary view of this, you know, with fortunately the benefit of a little bit of hindsight, uh, but also just how to present this in a way that would give a clear and uh, neutral and unbiased a uh, picture of how this all went down on screen and backstage. And it's, it's 
we've talked about this. It's probably the worst ending possible for WCW, um, you know, with the with the benefit of hindsight. But like it, it's happened, and I think we covered it extremely faithfully. I agree completely. Chris Lacey, I'll come to you next, just as we finish up here. We will have opportunities later this year to discuss both fallen companies in more detail. I'm going to make sure that happens. I will set time aside. But just briefly now, that both WCW and ECW, two huge passions of yours, as any listener would easily be able to tell, make your appearances on those shows so compelling. We're not going to be talking about them in timeline anymore. And even with 20 years distance, knowing this was coming, that's hard. That's really hard. Yeah, it's... It's one of those of obviously if anyone obviously listens to the ECW shows, the last few, it was really hard to sort of say a great deal about stuff because we all knew that the end was nigh, but the problem was at the same time the energy that the show was putting out on the TV at the pay-per-views was was also very much doom and gloom and oh fuck what's going on um at least with the wcw one yeah the product wasn't great but there's been that glimmer of hope of the bischoff deal going through and things like that whereas obviously with dcw since they lost tv it's pretty much been every month was yes they've been talking about tv but Heyman's been offered something he doesn't want it he just is holding out for a usa deal and it was just, it was hard. And the thing is, you, you sort of have to just keep going with it, um, which is why like, when Eric and you both sort of go through those last few months of WCW and you can tell that, you know, because we do it, as I said, we do it in timeline. We're, do, we're, we're doing it at, as we know news is coming in at least with the WCW side, there was these iotas of, of what could have happened. And, you know, you you had that to, to go with, whereas obviously with ECW, there wasn't. Um, but it is that point when, because obviously I was watching this stuff 20 years ago when it's all happened. Uh, I've, I've, in theory, I've lived through it twice, you know, once first time round and then now again for for the show and it still is a kick in the nuts that you go how did two companies disappear and not just did sort of go under but go under so spectacularly at the same time um obviously break the wall technically at this point of the ecw is not gone because the bankruptcy isn't actually announced until the day after mania but it is that sort of thing of just how did it all go so wrong from the fucking absolute boom that wrestling was in 99 and in 2000 um which when we do retrospective looks at both companies um i think that's that's going to be something that is an angle we can look at of you know how did it go so wrong when you look at how right it was going for the Fed in the money they were making. Um, but, you know, everyone that's been on, a, on an ECW show, everyone that's been on a WCW show, some of the shit that we've had to watch, you know, it is, 
it is mind blowing that people didn't give up wrestling, watching wrestling watching some of that shit. But then there was some amazing moments, and thanks to the show, I've gone back and been able to relive that. So yeah, you know, yeah, they've gone for now, and who knows six months down the line when we do the registered ones we'll get to relive all the best bits again but it is it is that moment of like this was this was inevitable we knew it was coming but you know re-going through it again is is just an it's just a kick in the tit again just like it was first time around for me it's going to take some adjusting to it really is letting a bit of light and magic here everybody i today was going through our recording schedule and when we've got all of these shows wrapped up including our wrestlemania 17 one bit more on that in a sec that there's nothing doing until the first week in may and that's going to be april wwf only it's it's gonna be difficult it means less work for us i suppose but that's the only real positive if even that's a positive i can think of right now the show is going to change over the next few months, but I know all of us, because we're all, we're, all of us are still going to be here, will very much rise to the challenge. But for now, Chris White, this makes you the sole survivor. Yeah, so from Clash of the Champions 29 in uh, wow. nine, 1994 was my first show. Uh, I believe it was the first match for the Faces of Fear. <laughs> God. We've come a long way. We've, we have. we've got to WrestleMania 17. Um, we've kind of yeah. gone full circle, one could look at it, uh, in, in one <laughs> from, that, from that low point. Yes. Um, yeah, it's, it's been one hell of a ride. Um, I remember when uh, Mr. Bamba was, was running the show uh, um and uh when nitro was coming in and that was going to change how we did the shows and just um yeah like you said there were always these dates and out of timeline mode you know they're coming and you know you want to be here for it like these are kind of like march 2001 and wrestlemania 17 like kind of encapsulate the the highs and lows and the drama of being a lover of professional wrestling um with some like sadness for people on the wcw side of the fence to the highest of highs for (laughs) wwf fans and 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 people in that company like top of the world about to put on a an all-time great show um having bought the competition it's just you know how it's going to play out, but as you live it and you live it month to month and the news comes into you in real time and the shows come past in real time. There are times when watching some of the WWF <laughs> sort of pre 97, I suppose, where I was like, there's no way it happens. I've been lied to all these years. They, these guys don't win that war. <laughs> like there's no way that these guys beat WCW and it, and it kind of, it, it kind of happened and uh, it's been one hell of a ride, but what's all the more exciting is like the limitless potential of 
of the future of this show with now out of timeline mode retrospectives going back further into the archives uh, for WCW, NWA and, and watching that kind of stuff is that with out of timeline mode and being able to in a few months do this like post-mortem show of WCW will be I'm sure like an all-time great episode of this podcast where we're able to dissect the downfall of WCW and really pinpoint the moments that got us to this point and the ship just keeps plugging on on the WWF side of things and we all know how that goes in the next 20 years as well and uh, I don't know about you Rory but I'm going to be here for every step of that ride. We all will be, no question about it. I just want to take this opportunity to say, because I haven't actually said it on air before, that I did have my own moments of upheaval a year or so ago that sadly looked as though they were going to put me out of doing this podcast forever. Thankfully, and it's almost unspeakably trivial, even call it a good thing to come out of the horror show that was 2020. But with the world stopping turning like it did in March 2020. It did allow time that I desperately needed to do other important things, some good, some bad, and finally get those done meant I was able to come back and do this fantastic show. Because I'll be honest with you, everybody, the guys here, they could have said no. Me coming back with my tail between my legs a couple of months after it, they could have said no, sod off, but they didn't. It's testament to the brilliance of these guys. And now in here for the longest of long hauls, 20, 40, 60 years into the future. And I can't wait to bring all this fantastic, and maybe not so fantastic stuff to you month after month, year after year. Like I always say, as long as pro wrestling existed 20 years ago from recording date, we will continue to bring it to you. But let's get much, much closer to home. What have we got to bring for you next week? We do have our full review of WrestleMania 17 coming up. I will be releasing that on April the 1st itself, exactly 20 years from the day of the show. All four of us and Dan Welling are going to be reviewing that match by match, blow by blow. Of course, we'll bring it to you in timeline as if the show has just concluded there and then. Everything will be broken down in our own inimitable, and I'm going to say it, Bloody fantastic style. Really looking forward to recording that one. Just as a bit of a recap for the shows available, although given the our own post-mortem for the first seven and a half years of the show we've just laid down, it's pretty obvious this should have been the show you listened to last. But just to complete the set, volume one is where we look at the demise of WCW and how we got there in timeline. Volume two, all the build for WrestleMania 17. And this was volume three the final edition of Monday Nitro. And I think it only appropriate to close out with Tony Schiavone's words towards the end of that edition of Nitro. I could have dropped them in earlier, but even now where we all are, us with the show, even Tony Schiavone, who's doing okay for himself these days, I still think now, 20 years on, the power of these words tonight, spoken as a and for true wrestling fan i will leave you with tony Schiavone's words and we will see you again in a week's time for wrestlemania 17 on behalf of all of us here at the wrestling 20 years ago podcast thank you so much for listening to this and we'll be back next week take it away tony it's been an emotional roller coaster for all of us fans 
the uncertainty of our jobs, our future, of what we love and what we breathe and what we live. We don't just work for WCW, we live WCW. And I know Flair, Sting, and the fans would agree.